talk I gave about uh, Light is Life, and uh, it's about the winter solstice and returning of the light and Mother's Night and Yuletide goddesses, um, that sort of thing. So it's, um, you know, a seasonal offering that I hope uh, you will enjoy. And uh, next week, uh, I do have a guest. Uh, Rachel McCoppin is back with me. She was with me earlier in the year to talk about uh, her book about uh, goddesses. Um, and uh, next Wednesday, she returns to talk about her other book called The Legacy of the Goddess, subtitled Heroines, Warriors, and Witches, From the World Mythology to Folk Tales and Fairy Tales. And I believe it's the last Wednesday of the month. Um, Crystal Rains is with me, and uh, she's an expert uh, on ancestral healing, which uh, she does. And uh, our talk is going to be on ancestral healing after the pandemic. What has changed? Yeah, so I think that uh, will be an interesting talk as well. So, um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's just get going here, and um, I, I will, uh, you know, uh, act like I'm still standing at the podium in front of the UU Church and, uh, and present my thoughts on Guadalupe and the Epiphany Goddesses. So, here we go. Uh, it's called Guadalupe, Our Lady of Miracles, Heralds the Flowering of Humanity. I'm pretty sure none of us here or out there have absolute certainty about how the universe works. My little round grandma, Bertha, with her teased helmet hair seemed pretty sure she knew though. She said her novenas and prayed her rosary and had a statue of Mary in her front lawn where we lived in the Bible Belt of New Orleans. My mother, I suspect, believed a little bit less. I don't think I ever heard my mother pray, maybe because so many prayers went unanswered. But we did buy a new dress and hat and show up at church on Easter Sunday. By the time I grew up, the spell of religion was probably diluted even more. But who can say when we're laying in a hospital bed or waiting for test results or hoping a loved one comes home alive, we don't secretly resort to hoping there is magic and miracles however they may manifest, and we yearn to be a beneficiary of such a gift. Well, today uh, we are in the season of miracles, and I'm not only talking about Christmas, because if there was a Jesus, research tells us he was not actually born in December. That was his manufactured birth date, so Christianity could capitalize on the pagan season of Saturnalia celebrating Saturn this time of year. I'm talking about the miracle of the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City, whose feast day is December 12th. Guadalupe means a lot of things to a lot of people, and who and what she is has changed over time. Even her image has evolved, but she seems to be part of a long line of epiphany goddesses who appeared to humanity. Artemis, whose temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and thought to be more powerful than Zeus, was an epiphany goddess who appeared. 
In more contemporary times, you've probably heard about the miracle apparitions in Lourdes, Medjugorje, Nock, or Fatima. Well, the story of Guadalupe teases many types of conversations besides the question if miracles are real. For instance, who are these female figures appearing throughout time all around the world, many of which several different religions have vetted and recognized, though not all? Who was the apparition we call Guadalupe? or Mary, or Our Lady, or Artemis. The apparition caught on videotape in the 60s, the 1960s, in Zetan, Egypt, is really food for thought. When the female image appeared, Muslims believed they were seeing Fatima. Christians said she was Mary. And Egyptians, maybe still practicing the old religion, I guess, well, they said they saw Isis. I guess apparitions are really in the eye of the beholder. And history is documented based on who's telling the story. So that brings us to Guadalupe's story. Before the Mayans and Aztecs were invaded by Christianity, they had their own religions and deities, as all indigenous people did before they were pressured, sometimes with death, to convert to Payoc Hill and Cave in Mexico City, where Guadalupe appeared, had long been a sacred shrine to Tononzin, a generic name for the Aztec Earth Mother, previously believed to be an epiphany goddess known to appear to the people. Well, appear she did or so the story goes, to an Aztec Indian named Juan Diego in 1531. The female apparition told Juan in his native language of Nuadal that she wanted a temple built on that spot and he should tell the local bishop of their meeting. Of course, when Juan, a mere peasant, went to the bishop, he was not taken seriously. Only when Juan came back several times, and the last time bearing proof of the lady, who had continued to appear to Juan over several days, did the bishop take notice. The evidence Juan brought was fresh flowers picked from a rocky and frigid place on the mountain where none could have grown, particularly that time of year. And when he emptied the flowers from his tilma, or shawl, the image of the lady miraculously appeared on the clothing wand used to carry the flowers. Long story short, a basilica was eventually built dedicated to Tononzin, if you were Aztec or indigenous to the area, and to Guadalupe, or Mary, if you were Christian. This very tilma, almost 500 years old, is today prominently displayed behind glass above the altar at the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe Basilica in Mexico City, where millions converge annually, but especially on her feast day of December 12th, next week. So you know what's going to be happening there in Mexico City in a few days. After all these centuries, the colors on the tilma have not lost their vibrancy. 
Scientific testing on the cloth has been performed over the years, with one test done by NASA scientists in 1981 concluding the pigments were from uncertain origins and other studies cannot account for the tilma itself, made of fragile fibers that should have deteriorated hundreds of years ago. It basically seems to defy scientific explanation. So Guadalupe represents several miracles, the apparition, the tilma with Our Lady's image, then some say a third miracle. In 1921, a bomb was placed under the altar below the tilma, behind glass, and when it detonated, it miraculously did not do damage to the artifact. As many of you know, I talk about the sacred feminine or goddesses from the perspective of deity, archetype, and ideal. I'm sure my grandma Bertha had no doubts about Our Lady and her grace, who she, as a Christian, called Mary. But Bertha and faithful people like her would be considered anti-intellectual by many. So I also discuss what these female images, sometimes apparitions, might represent as role models, archetypes, or values. Guadalupe, or her predecessor Tononzin, is considered the earth goddess of the vast heavenly cosmos and the underworld, or as we might say, the web of creation, the universe. She is birth and death, fertility and reciprocity. It is believed she birthed the Aztec pantheon, and she is often called flower-covered earth in spring, representing the importance of transformation, residing on the threshold of change, as most things must change or die to be reborn, like so many of the gardeners here in the room or out there in the audience witness each year. She is then the cycle of life. John Minnie, author of The Aztec Virgin, indigenous to the region of Mexico and a speaker, translator of the Aztec language, rather than relying on warped or biased Judeo-Christian translations, explains the apparition of Our Lady to have heralded the coming time of the solar age of the sixth sun the sun of flowers and relationships, urging humanity to achieve its highest potential and birth the flowering of humanity, not unlike what many of us refer to as the age of Aquarius, or dare I say, even values of Unitarian Universalists. Guadalupe Tononzin is also believed to harken back to ancient androgynous deities who embodied the wide spectrum of gender within themselves. Might she be a role model or guidepost for those trying to help humanity except those among us who identify as they, them? Our Lady of Guadalupe, or if you prefer to call her Tononzin, or Coatlacu, or Mary, or Omequatl, honestly, her name maybe matters less, 
it's her values being passed on from one aspect of the sacred feminine to the next, just like Artemis passed her aspects on to Mary, which we can recognize as so vital to humanity as we can aspire to become better humans on the planet. I invite you to learn more about her, as I've only scratched the surface of Guadalupe's ever-evolving story. So, if I've piqued your curiosity here, I invite you to go check online for the many documentaries and articles out there. And at this point in the uh, the talk at the UU Church, I had an altar set up to Guadalupe. We had... Um, gone and found a statue of her when I found out uh, my proposal to uh, offer this talk was accepted. And we went to um, a little Mexican grocery. And I figured if there was any place in Grants Pass where I was living that I might find a statue of Guadalupe, it would be there. And I went up to the young woman behind the counter, and I asked her if she had a, a Guadalupe statue, and a big old smile crossed her face. And she said, what do you want that for? I guess she wasn't accustomed to white women coming in the the grocery there or asking for Guadalupe. And I explained to her I was trying to teach my UU community about Guadalupe and how important she was and about goddesses. Well, she just loved that idea and she took me to the back and at the very top of the shelf, I have to say she was covered with dust. One statue left as if she were standing there waiting for us. And I have to tell you, I kind of have goosebumps telling you that because it felt magical to us in the moment that um, she, you know, that we found her and she was there waiting and we were able to, you know, obtain her statue for this presentation. Anyway, we brought her down off the high top shelf and went to the counter with her and I asked the girl how much uh, she she cost. Well, the guy behind the counter said $45. And I looked at the girl and I kind of had a frown because that was kind of expensive for me in the moment. And she says, no, no, we give this to them for $25. And I said, bless you, bless you. Our community will so enjoy learning about Guadalupe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we took Guadalupe home. There's um, I don't know, maybe another little miracle, right? We, you know, we have to learn to recognize the miracle when we, um, you know, when we encounter them. So, uh, yeah, I set up an altar to Guadalupe, and um, I had some flowers there on the altar. So at this point during the, during the talk, um, I said the following, and I did because so many of the UU people in this particular church uh, were agnostic or atheists. I'm really surprised they even let me give this talk because they're not accustomed to talks being much about, you know, religion, believe it or not. I mean, in California, the UU churches that I attended were, you know, they had cups groups and they were accustomed to this kind of thing. But this one, you know, was very you know, staunchly agnostic and atheist. Uh, so anyway, what I did was I said, um, you know, as I close this message today, you know, this, what I just read to all of you out there, if anything I've said resonates with you regarding the essence of Guadalupe and this season of miracles, you know, about her 
maybe representing the flowering of humanity. You know, I didn't ask them to make that leap and believe in a deity. I just asked them if they were on board <laughs> for the evolution of humanity, for the flowering of the humanity. I invited them to step forward and place one of the flowers provided on, on Our Lady's altar. And I said, maybe not because you believe in her as a deity residing in the heavens with the power or inclination to intercede in our lives and bring you miracles or good fortune, but maybe just because she represents humanity striving for positive transformation and our culture's transformation into a time which we might consider the flowering of humanity, which some might call in itself a miracle. Well, there you go. Um, that uh, you know, that's the talk I gave them, and uh, I think they actually rather enjoyed it, to tell you the truth, um, if I say so myself. <laughs> and uh, so I will be uh, sharing another such talk uh, that I gave at the Goddess Temple in Orange County, though, about uh, Mother Night and Solstice and Yule Goddesses, uh, the second to last Wednesday of the month. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, uh, you know, that about covers Guadalupe for today, uh, but uh, I have to ask you to hang on a minute because um, I have a word here for you from uh, Joe Carson. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Ferrothalia Path. I love this book, how special this work is, and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s, and through the years, only found snippets of information on Ferrothalia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods, reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy, and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Ferrothalia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Ferrothalia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Ferrothalia website at ferrothalia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. And please don't forget about the Divine Feminine app. Uh, if you want to find out about uh, things happening in your local area uh, that are goddess-flavored or um, if you're interested in virtual events or retreats or podcasts such as mine, do go to the Divine Feminine app. You can um, get it for free. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, and if you um, do want to add your event there, uh, you know, there is a small fee, uh, but you can look into all that yourself and um, I think for a time uh, if you mention Voices of the Sacred Feminine here I think you can um, post your events uh, for, for no charge uh, 
So, um, you know, depending on the day you talk to me, um, you know, and if you would ask me, Karen, do you believe there is a goddess residing in the heaven? Or do you just believe as goddess, uh, in goddess as an archetype or values? You know, I, uh, I'll probably give you different answers. You know, I do know it's anti-intellectual to believe that there is a goddess residing in the heavens. But I will also say to you that I have had some pretty miraculous things happen in my life that uh, really prevents me from saying with certainty that there is not something out there, um, at least energetically, that responds when we put energy out into the universe. And uh, that being said, if you uh, subscribe to my newsletter, you know that uh, I have been writing about uh, could the sacred feminine, uh, you know, values of the sacred feminine, be uh, an avenue toward ascension. And I just, uh, I did my final part. It was a three-parter. The last few months, each month, I um, discussed a different aspect of um, mulling that idea around in my head. So if uh, if you were interested in that, um, you can maybe find it on my Facebook page, but you'd have to dig. Um, or if you'd like to be uh, on my newsletter, uh, email list, uh, please reach out at KarenTate108 at Yahoo.com, and I will be happy to send you links uh, to the newsletter that comes out once a month. I think uh, maybe next month I'm going to give a, you know, uh, be chatting about spiritual bypassing, uh, but I think the last few issues uh, about is goddess the light, is goddess uh, values, or are goddess values, the, you know, uh, put do those values put us on the road to ascension and vibrating uh, at a higher frequency uh, and help us move from the third dimension to the fifth or higher. And I do always invite comments from uh, my listeners uh, or my readers. So um, I thank those of you who have taken the time to send me some very interesting thoughts. Um, you know, uh, I am a work in progress. Uh, I don't think I'll ever become stagnant and stop thinking that I have all the answers. And uh, I often think about I don't know what I don't know. So anyway, um, the newsletter is called... Uh, Karen Tate's Toolbox for Transformation. And I like to think that the work I do in the world is kind of at the crossroads where alternative spirituality, personal transformation, and social justice meet. So uh, if you've been a supporter of this work over the years, thank you. And if you'd like to support me, please do go to my website, karentate.net. You have an opportunity there to buy me a cup of coffee or purchase a book. Uh, because shows like this, um, you know, I pay out of my pocket to provide this show uh, to all of you listeners out there. Uh, I am not paid to do this. So uh, it does help when we have support from the community. Well, uh, that's all for me today. Uh, again, thank you for listening. I hope you'll be back next Wednesday. And as I do uh, every 
uh, every week. Uh, I end the show with an homage to uh, Goddess. And uh, but you know what? Uh, if I can find it real quick, I think I am going to close it with Ancient Mother. Just a second, if I can find it. Yeah, I think this is it. Diva Haley. Thank you, Diva, uh, for allowing me to use your music. Uh, just as a tribute to all of the goddesses out there, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, play uh, Ancient Mother here for all of you to close out the show today. Enjoy. Ancient Mom. 